Welcome back to Dose Makes the Poison the Toxcast. It's the end of 2019, people, and I feel awesome. I can't believe that 2019 is over, though. Time really does fly, it seems. And I really hope that the new year treats all of you well. So here's to a fine and fantastic 2020. So the ToxCast rolls on to episode 4, and I know during episode 2, and I said the same thing during episode 3, that I'd be talking about cyanide next, and I do still plan on doing that, but something else just popped up in the news, and it made me think that I should do a quick episode about it. And I love talking about drugs and toxicology in the current events, so let's give this one a talk for a second. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. So let's jump into something that is currently in the news. Tetrahydrazoline, also known as tetrazoline, is a substance used in various over-the-counter eye drops and nasal sprays, and it first came into medical use in, I believe it was the 1950s. So you're thinking, okay, tetrahydrazoline, I don't know what the heck that is. Uh, When you think of tetrahydrazoline from at least a toxicology perspective, we think of products like Visine or Tyzine, Azoline, or even Mirine. Tetrahydrazoline, it's related to another drug called Clonidine, which is a kind of trade name is Catapress. um, And that is used to treat high blood pressure and sometimes um, drug withdrawal, like alcohol withdrawal or opioid withdrawal. Uh, But tetrahydrazoline's chemical formula is C13H16N2. So 13 carbons, 16 hydrogens, 2 nitrogens. Its molecular weight is 200.2 grams per mole. And from a pharmacodynamics perspective, uh, tetrahydrazoline is an agonist for the alpha-2 receptor and an agonist for the imidazoline I1 receptor. So this doesn't really mean a lot to you right now. Just remember that in your body there are various receptors and tetrahydrazoline binds to the alpha-2 receptors and the imidazoline receptors and it produces an effect. does not block any effects or block any, any other drugs from binding. That's not an antagonist. It is an agonist. It binds to the receptors, produces a specific effect. And like I said, the substance is used in Visine. It's used to treat um, dry and itchy eyes as it, uh, one of the effects is the constriction of blood vessels in the eyes or what we call vasoconstriction. So it decreases eye redness that way um, where it constricts the blood vessels and it gets the red out basically. Uh, the pharmacokinetics of tetrahydrazoline have not really been thoroughly studied or published. There are a few papers out there in scientific literature, um, one by uh, Carr et al. in 2011, where 10 adults were given two drops of a 0.05% tetrahydrazoline solution in each eye every four hours for 12 total hours. So their total dose was... 
uh, somewhere around 0.2 to 0.4 milligrams of tetrahydrosoline. The average peak serum concentrations of the substance in, I mean, in the serum, their blood serum, was 0.22 nanograms per milliliter at nine hours after the first dose. And from this study, they reported the elimination half-life of tetrahydrosoline to be approximately six hours. So in that same study, those same adults had peak urine concentrations averaging 104 nanograms per milliliter with a range of about 11 to 260 nanograms per milliliter at nine hours post first dose medication. So again, very low blood levels at therapeutic uses of the drug. And even I would consider those pretty low urine levels of tetrahydrosoline from therapeutic use of the drug. Why am I talking about a common substance readily available over the counter and used by thousands and millions of people probably every day? Well, that's the thing. That's the very important thing. It's common. It's readily available. It's convenient. And if we remember back to our old friend Paracelsus, the namesake of this to- the Toxcast, we are reminded that the dose makes the poison. And at cer- certain dosages, tetrahydrosoline can have some very serious side effects, which include drowsiness, tremor, blurred vision, heart palpitations, fluctuations in blood pressure, insomnia. Um, I can quote study after study, case report after case report about uh, tetrahydrosoline exposures and manifested symptoms to include the aforementioned symptoms, but also hypotension, like I said, with blood pressure, low blood pressure, bradycardia, hypothermia, low blood or hypothermia, low body temperature, lethargy, tiredness, and respiratory depression. If used chronically at higher dosages, uh, the vasoconstrictive properties of the substance decrease or even stop, and a vasodilatory effect can occur. Remember I said that um, uh, tetrahydrosoline is a an agonist at the alpha-2 receptors and the imidazoline receptors. Uh, well, bradycardia and hypotension are mainly due to the imidazoline receptor agonism, and the lethargy, the drowsiness, the respiratory depression are mainly due to the alpha-2 receptor agonism. Which, all of this kind of leads into this. The use of tetrahydrosoline has kind of been reported in media and over the internet and movies and all sorts of things as kind of an urban legend. You want to pull a prank on someone, you put Visine in their beverage, and only a few drops will do you, and they will be on the toilet all day long due to violent diarrhea. And this is kind of most famously represented in the 2005 comedy movie Wedding Crashers, which starred Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. Basically, in the Wedding Crashers scenes, the Visine that was put into someone's drink causes pretty extreme nausea. And if you're also a fan of the Netflix series Orange is the New Black, Visine poisoning is a, a minor plot point of season four. And in those episodes, the Visine poisoning causes some very violent bowel movements or diarrhea. As many urban legends go, this one is not correct. 
And it's not even not correct. It's actually completely wrong. Diarrhea is not a very significant side effect of tetrahydrazoline use or overdose. And as I said before, some serious side effects that can result from tetrahydrazoline exposure or overdose, if you will, include hypotension, bradycardia, hypothermia, lethargy, respiratory depression, seizures, coma, and even death. And this is actually shown in a TV episode. Uh, tetrahydrazoline poisoning leading to death was also the topic of a CSI episode all the way back in 2002. And that happened in season three, episode one of the original CSI t- television series. So it's tetrahydrazoline has um, some history with being an urban legend and in movies and in TV shows. But it does have a pretty sordid history as being a substance used in a drug-facilitated crime, such such as uh, sexual assault and rape. Uh, So in 2007, a paper was published in the Journal of Legal Medicine uh, by Spiller et al. They reported a case of an adult male who repeatedly used tetrahydrazoline to induce states of unconsciousness in adult female and four female children for the purposes of sexual assault. Um, two other cases were reported by Stillwell and Soddy in uh, Forensic Science International in 2012. Uh, the first case involved a person who was sexually assaulted after her alcoholic drink was surreptitiously contaminated with tetrahydrazoline. The second case involved a person who, again, unknowingly ingested an alcoholic drink mixed with tetrahydrazoline. And in both of those cases, tetrahydrazoline was detected in the urine of the victims by the toxicology laboratory. In another 2012 study, Spiller and Seward reported the use of tetrahydrazoline in two cases of sexual assault and detected the substance in the urine of two victims 20 hours after the assault. So both victims actually reported uh, intermittent periods of consciousness and unconsciousness and then vomiting. So this substance has a history, again, urban legends in the movies, TV, and in sexual assault, drug-facilitated crimes, rape and sexual assault. But this substance has also been used in attempted murder plots, and it has been successfully used in murder. And again, of all substances, why tetrahydrazoline? Well, I mean, we have, we've said our answer earlier. It's easy, it's convenient, it's readily available, it's easily concealed, and it has those serious cardiovascular effects. It has serious respiratory effects. So in 2012, uh, Byron Schull, who was a 56-year-old man from Parma Heights, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland, poisoned his 84-year-old father with two Visine bottles in his milk as a quote-unquote practical joke. The father survived with substantial hospitalization and care from medical professionals, which actually included a one-month hospital stay and an additional month in a rehab facility. Uh, Byron Shaw was actually sentenced to five years in prison for his quote-unquote practical joke. Also that same year in 2012, Vicki Jo Mills, who was a 33-year-old woman from Pennsylvania, she was convicted of poisoning her boyfriend over the course of a few years by uh, consistently putting Visine in his drinking water. 
The boyfriend had actually become ill over the last few years. He had extreme nausea, vomiting, blood pressure problems, including the fluctuations from low to high blood pressure, from high to low blood pressure, and other respiratory issues. And then toxicology testing of the boyfriend's blood sample revealed 49 nanograms per milliliter of tetrahydrazoline. Uh, that is a very substantial amount of tetrahydrazoline. Because if you remember back to when we was talking about that study, uh, when we were talking about the pharmacokinetics of tetrahydrazoline, where um, those 10 adults were given two drops of uh, 0.05 tetrahydrazoline solution in the eye, so they were using it as directed therapeutically, their peak concentrations in their serum or their blood was 0.22 nanograms per milliliter. And this guy, who was being poisoned by tetrahydrazoline, had a blood level of 49 nanograms per milliliter, significantly higher. Uh, in the end, uh, Vicky Joe Mills was convicted of the, the crime and sentenced to two to four years in prison. 2013, 19-year-old Alexis Jennings poisoned her stepmother with Visine. And over the course of four months, she actually had contaminated her stepmother's tea and coffee with approximately 20 bottles of Visine. The stepmother was uh, hospitalized twice during those four months, and she was hospitalized with hypothermia, stomach aches, nausea, blood pressure fluctuations, blurred vision, tremors, general bleeding, um, all of the things you would typically think of when you think of tetrahydrazoline poisoning. Uh, suspicious internet history, uh, internet search history actually related to Visine poisoning on their home computer tipped her stepmom, stepmom off and she alerted the police. You should always clear your internet history. But in the end, uh, Alexis was convicted and sentenced to two to four years in the Wyoming Women's Detention Center. So she was uh, essentially put away for two to four years. Also in 2013, Shane Carpenter, a 27-year-old California man, poisoned his girlfriend with Visine by putting it in her drink. He was uh, caught when his girlfriend found text messages on Shane's phone. He was texting his friends and bragging about his exploits, about how she was talking crap and that she was going to be crapping for talking crap. So she was uh, treated at a hospital and released in good health. I never saw anything else about this case. Um, so I don't know if he was actually put in jail or if he was actually, um, if anything happened to him. I have no idea. More recently, in 2018, 52-year-old Lana Clayton from South Carolina confessed to murdering her husband, Stephen Clayton, by uh, putting Visine drops in his drinking water over the course of several days. Uh, Stephen's body had originally been found at the bottom of the stairs in their home, and it was thought he had fallen down them, and Lana actually lied to the police and told them that Stephen had an illness. But upon autopsy, a blood sample was drawn and was uh, sent to the toxicology lab, and a large amount of tetrahydrazoline was found in his blood post-mortem. And last I heard about this case, the prosecutors were considering the death penalty, and if not the death penalty, she is facing up to life in prison. And it actually, I just saw, I was reading more about this case this morning, and uh, they... Had, we're looking at another instance 
where Lana had shot and injured Steven with a crossbow in 2016. She actually shot him in the head with a crossbow as he was sleeping. But they both claimed it was an accident. So I know prosecutors were last looking at uh, what was exactly going on at that time. Was, Was that another potential murder attempt? Or was something else going on there? But ultimately, she poisoned... Um, Stephen with a large amount of visine, and she is currently being held, and we'll see what happens with her case, but I think her case is pretty open and shut. And the reason for this podcast episode, just the other day, before Christmas 2019, a news broke that Joshua Hunsucker, a 35-year-old man from North Carolina, had been charged with first-degree murder for allegedly using Visine to cause his wife's death. Which, his wife actually died um, September 23, 2018. And the interesting thing is it actually occurred two weeks after the Lana Clayton poisoning case that we just talked about a second ago. So, this death of... Uh, of Joshua Hunsucker's wife um, actually occurred in 2018, but he was just charged with first-degree murder just before Christmas of this year, of 2019. And um, he also, I guess, collected about $250,000 from two life insurance policies that were taken out on her. He actually did not permit an autopsy be done, but blood was drawn as a part of organ donation, and toxicology testing was performed on that blood, and extremely high levels of tetrahydrosoline was found in her postmortem blood. So I have not seen that any like disclosure of any official concentration of tetrahydrosoline, but according to reports in the media, investigators have stated in reports that the levels were 30 to 40 times higher than the therapeutic level of tetrahydrosoline. Joshua has, uh, of course, been charged. He's awaiting trial. He's currently being held on $1.5 million bond. So if convicted, he faces up to life in prison and possibly even the death penalty. So as you can see, and as you've heard, uh, tetrahydrazoline, the main constituent of over-the-counter Visine, uh, has been used in poisonings, has been used in sexual assaults, and has been used in murder. It is uh, readily available, it's convenient, it uh, can be surreptitiously administered to a person without them knowing. So I hope you learned a little bit about the importance of this substance, but again, do not get any ideas, because as you heard, tetrahydrosoline is easily detected by forensic toxicologists in a toxicology lab, and it is covered under pretty much any comprehensive scope toxicology testing that I have ever seen by any lab that has, um, uh, that does any sort of toxicology testing. So please don't get any ideas. Um, consumption of this substance does not cause the urban legend of diarrhea, but it can cause significant blood pressure issues, cardiovascular issues, and respiratory issues, which may be life-threatening or fatal. So to find me on social media, look for me on Twitter at, at Forensic Tox Guy or the show at ToxCast. If you're on Facebook, head over to the Dose Makes the Poison podcast page and give it a like. You can always reach the show by email at dosemakesthepoisonpodcast at gmail.com. 
I'm still working to get the show um, submitted to Apple Podcasts, but you should be able to find the show uh, through Spotify, through Anchor, through Breaker, through Google Podcasts, uh, and all of those places you would find your podcast at. Uh, but again, I'm still working on Apple's just really slow, so I had to resubmit it uh, to Apple Podcasts. But once it uh, is uploaded, uh, if you could, if you have listened to any of these episodes and you've enjoyed them, please leave re- leave me a review when you can, when it's up, when it's uploaded and accepted uh, to Apple Podcasts. Um, so until next time, my friends, uh, tetrahydrosoline is an effective poison, but again, it is easily detectable by us forensic toxicologists in a forensic lab. So do not get any ideas. And as always, never practice toxicology in a vacuum. Peace.